What is up, Bridge Nation? Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. Tonight, we sat down with Samuel Hartman, a Central Ohio ultra runner who finishes some of the toughest Midwest and Appalachian races like the Barkley Fall Classics, Breaks Ultra, and Cloud Splitter 100K. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Tonight, we are so super stoked to be joined by Samuel Hartman, Berkeley Fall Classic finisher, finisher of the Cloud Splitter 100K, Burning River 100, Big Turtle 50 Mile, Thunder Bunny 50K, Breaks Ultra 45 Miler, and another one you might have heard of, the El Ultra Marathon Caballo Blanco in Eureka, Mexico. Sam, how is it going, man? Uh, nice. This guy is a vegan, straight-edge, CrossFit coaching road cyclist who also decided that none of that was enough <laughs> to keep him fit and out there getting after it. So he decided to start running ultras, and he's got all those stout finishes I just listed under his belt. Samuel seems truly like a person who looked at life and asked if he could turn up the difficulty setting. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Sam to the podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Cam. Thanks for having me. And uh, that's quite the intro. When you put it that way, uh, I just hope I can live up to the uh, the fame that you just bestowed upon me. So, yeah, uh, big fan of the show. Love the guests you guys have had on here. It's real honor to be on the same podcast with all the the first place finishers and all the amazing runners you've had on, on the show. So, uh, yeah, excited to be here. Well, that's great to hear, Sam. Uh, for those of y'all who do not know, my name is Cam Wrench. I am the sixth man of Ridge Runner Nation. Here tonight hosting with John Dolovacki III, the better host. Um, so let's get right into this, Sam. Um, as some people probably know, a lot of people probably don't, you and I are co-workers at the Columbus Dublin um, REI. Uh, and I may have overheard at work one day that after World's End, you were potentially going to get a haircut. So, Sam, <laughs> what's going on? Is the Columbus Dublin REI going to be down one more long-haired man? No more of getting us confused up at Frontline? Yeah, that would be tragic. Um, so I think the rumor that maybe, you know, got a little bit of a telephone game thing. I told my wonderful girlfriend, Marissa, after Barkley Fall Classic, if I finished, that I would get my hair trimmed because it's quite unruly. As I'm sure you know, the guy with long hair, you know, get the dead ends. And I don't really wash my hair very often. I, I do a lot of things kind of in a strange way, as you'll probably learn. And so, she, you know, I, I told her, I said, all right, you know, if I finish this race and she came to Tennessee with me and really supported me through that race, uh, I'll go get my hair trimmed. You know, I'll, I'll take care of it. And so that was the promise. Um, don't think I'm ready to cut it off yet. Thought about that, flirted with that idea. Uh if I, um, I don't know, if I finish a loop at the Barkley Marathons one day, I'll cut my hair off. How about that? That'll that, be, yeah. Y'all heard it here first. Just one loop, man. All you, need, all you need is one loop. I mean, that. well, you don't only need one, but I would be happy with one. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I started running uh, kind of as an outcome of uh, some other sports I was involved in. I was a cyclist for many years. As Cam mentioned, I was a road cyclist. 
Uh, I was doing this out of Louisville, Kentucky. So I was racing on a, a road cycling team, doing crits, uh, road races, a um, couple time trials. I flirted with uh, mountain bike racing and, and things like that. Uh, and then got kind of sick of that, got kind of burnt out. Um, started running a little bit here and there. But it really took many years for me to really get serious about ultra running. I actually did my first ultra in 2013. I don't really talk about that time very much, not because it was a bad time. It was just uh, something I had done, you know, to really challenge myself. Like Cam said, to kind of turn up the difficulty level. So I did a 50K up in Chicago. Uh, I think it's called the Lakeshore 50K. It's on crushed gravel, the whole thing. So not even really a trail race, kind of a hybrid trail road. Um, you know, and really just slogged my way through it. Um, probably was undertrained. Um, and I was really into CrossFit at that time. Kept doing the CrossFit and the weightlifting thing. And, uh, you know, I can tell you more about that and the, the, the weightlifting club I started and being a CrossFit and weightlifting coach. And then around 2017, uh, so about four years after the first 50 K was like, you know, I really want to try that again. I really want to get serious about running. So I did my first trail 50 K the rough trail 50 K Red River Gorge. Um, it's put on by next opportunity events and, uh, I love Mike and Brandy and the races they put on so great. Uh, just, they did breaks not that long ago. And so, a uh, big fan of them. Uh, and that was all I needed. I did my first trail 50 K and I was like, oh man, this is, this is it. Like being out here, you know, suffering for eight and a half hours, you know, at the time I thought that was like a long time. Uh, little did I know that that would be, you know, not even like a third of some of the events that I would go on to do. And then, um, you know, all through 2018 was looking for more and more races, looking for more 50 Ks, uh, eventually looking for 50 milers, uh, and then working up to my first uh, hundred mile finish, which was last summer at burning river. Um, and just made it, it was like 29 hours and 45 minutes or something. Certainly not a fast hundred, but I found, I, I got it. You know, I got that hundred, uh, hundred belt buckle. It's up, up above me. And, uh, from there, you know, I just wanted to keep pushing the envelope. Um, for, you know, I, I wanted more technical terrain. I wanted more climbing. So I looked at cloud splitter, you know, it's 13,000 feet of climbing over the hundred K. And so I wanted to do that. Um, and now, you know, I've been really, really fortunate to have, uh, five races under my belt for 2020, which is pretty rare given COVID and everything, um, including one DNF recently, which we can talk about. And, uh, yeah, I just want to keep, keep running and staying healthy and, uh, really trying to find, you know, the most interesting races that I can. Um, the three that I did this month, I think were really interesting in, in their own way. Um, and so I, I'm very glad I found this sport. It, it means a lot to me and I could talk a lot about, uh, how it's changed my life, um, and, in all the different ways. All right. That's, that's so great to hear. And we'll give you a second to catch your breath, collect your thoughts. Now, uh, we just want to remind everybody that whether you've been with us from the very first live show with Michael Owen and all those dudes to, if this is your very first time tuning in, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell uh, icon. So you get notifications every time we upload a new video, we've got some really great content planned. Um, and also follow us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It is at Ridge Runners with one N in runners. Uh, maybe I couldn't find it originally because I was misspelling it all the time. Um, 
Anyways, if you're listening afterward as well on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we also appreciate you. Make sure to leave us a review on those platforms because that'll help us out a lot. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions for our guests uh, tonight, leave them in the live chat and we will try to uh, ask Sam all of those things tonight. And then moving on, uh, Sam, you just briefly mentioned um, that you had three races in this past month and they're three of some of the most difficult non hundred mile ultras uh, this side of those big mountains out west that I'm always talking about. Uh, how did that sort of come about and why did you decide to stay in all of those races so close to each other? Well, I think the short answer is COVID, right? Um, you know, I had uh, planned a really big year. Uh, I think my first race was a 30K uh, Rocks and Roots Trail Series. I'm sure you guys know that one. Yep. Um, then I uh, was tapering down for the Caballo Blanco race, uh, which was an absolutely incredible experience that um, I'm looking at the poster of it on my wall right now. And uh, they're running it in 2021, as far as I know. Um, and even if it, it waits a year, you know, I encourage anybody who wants to go to Mexico to run an ultra marathon to do that one, um, especially if you're ready born to run. So that was on my, my list. And then I was planning on doing the Hellbender 100 in Asheville, North Carolina who uh, I believe was designed by Brandon Thrower, one of your previous guests. Uh, am I getting the name? Am I getting the name right? I would say that would be a Wesley question. Yeah, okay. Wesley Neither question. of us were on that week. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> we'll figure I, it out I later, did try but... to, I did try to study the show and yeah, I think, I think uh, there's been some North Carolina influence uh, mm -hmm. in previous episodes and uh Honestly, the, I, I think the thing I'm, uh, you know, that this has been a great month for me, um, but I had really big plans this year. I was supposed to go to Europe. I was going to race one of the UTMB races, TDS. Uh, it's the very technical 90 mile race. Um, I had all kinds of stuff planned and everything got canceled as, as all the runners out there know, you know, we just basically lost all our races and um, a lot of hard decisions from runners and race directors and just people all over the world. And so, you know, I'd signed up for breaks a long time ago thinking after this whole massive summer of racing, okay, well, maybe I'll do breaks, you know, as just, you know, one final hurrah or whatever. I'd put myself on the Barkley Fall Classic waiting list. I actually emailed Laz about that, never thinking I would get in. They let 125 people in this year, and I can't believe that. I still can't believe I was one of them. And then... You know, I signed up for uh, the World's End Ultra Marathon probably before all of that, thinking, well, I'm not even sure if I can finish this race, 19 hours for 100K over technical terrain, 12, 13,000 feet of climbing. And now that I've done the race, I can tell you the technical terrain was no joke. It was uh, just one section of rocks after another for, you know, 50, 60 miles. And uh, I thought that, one, if not all of these races would either get canceled, um, get postponed. Um, I definitely didn't think that I would do breaks and world's end and get into Barkley fall classic all together, but that's what happened. And I, I'm amazed that it did. And I'm amazed that I, you know, ended up doing all three of them sadly with the DNF at world's end, but you know, um, still showed up and, and gave it my best shot and got a 50 miler out of it. So, you know, it really was just COVID kind of pushed everything to this month. Um, and I didn't think that I would end up doing all three races. 
but uh, fortune or fate or, uh, you know, the universe was on my side and that's what happened. I'm really glad I did. Yeah, that's great to hear, Sam. And so once this all sort of materialized together and you knew that, you know, you would have this month long period where, you know, you'd not only be traveling to these races, but running these really incredibly challenging races. Um, did your plans change at all for them? What was your mindset going into, you know, going into Barkley Fall Classic, knowing that you have World's End still on the list, right? Um, take us through what you were thinking about all of that. Yeah, I mean, they were all very different races, right? So Brakes 45 miler uh, was a race that had a very generous cutoff. I think it was 16 hours. I knew the race director, uh, Mike, and I know the company, Next Opportunity Events, um, had some friends down there that were doing it. Um, had researched it uh, and felt pretty comfortable during that race. Um, I did have some hamstring issues later on that kind of slowed me down. And man, at breaks, the last like two miles is just this monster climb and it's technical and it was just very, very difficult. But even with all that, I still, I think my time was like a little over 14 hours or something. So, you know, I was well within the time cap, felt confident you know, made good use of the trekking poles, all that stuff. Going into Barkley Fall Classic, I knew that I just needed to be consistent in moving. Um, I knew that um, dehydration could be an issue, which it ended up being a very serious issue. And I actually cramped quite a bit. And so my mindset going into Barkley Fall Classic was just don't stop moving. You know, you see all these pictures of rat jaw and hear the stories about people just, you know, laying down on the side of the trail. And I mean, there were definitely times climbing up rat jaw that I, I did stop and catch my breath, but you know, I tried to keep moving and I, I think half the time I was just so amazed that I was actually doing that climb. I mean, I was on this famous climb, you know, called rat jaw that, you know, I've seen in the documentary that everybody talks about that is the climb that, you know, not only Barkley fall classic, but Barkley marathons itself. It's one of the defining climbs of frozen head state park. And so, you know, by the time I got up rat jaw and now everybody kind of knows this the second time. So there are two rat jaws in this year's BFC, you know, I knew I was, I was going to make it. I knew I had about eight miles left and they were very long tedious eight miles, but I knew I was going to make it. I knew I could walk it and make it. And so, you know, I just was consistent and just kept moving and really tried to get it done. And then I kind of had some decisions to make. I was like, all right, well, I have one race left. You know, I've had some injuries that have, you know, kind of lingered, but they're not like debilitating, but they're just annoying. And, you know, I had to decide to go out to World's End, which is six and a half hour drive. So it was the longest race away. Uh, I was taking my friend Max, who, who you know, Cam works with us at REI, you know, to support me. And I was like, am I going to, you know, bring a friend six and a half hours into the wilderness of Pennsylvania, you know, do a whole campsite? do this whole thing just to potentially DNF. And that's what happened, but we had a really amazing experience out of it anyway. You know, I, I had really good prep. We had great aid station transitions. I didn't blister at all. I got the hydration so much better. You know, I had good clothing and gear choices. Uh, Max was amazing and such an awesome crew person and just did everything right for me all day. And, you know, I increased my fitness. I mean, all of these runs at the end of the day, whether they're races or training runs, you know, we're just trying to get fitter, at least for me, like I'm always thinking to the future. Like I, I definitely am proud of what I've did, but, um, 
you know, I do these things so that I can do bigger and bigger things. And so, you know, next year I can go back and hit that hundred K in 18 hours, 17 hours, and then, you know, do a hundred miler. And then one day do a 200 miler. And, you know, I want to do, you know, the biggest, hardest races possible. So I knew that if I skipped world's end, just because I didn't, wouldn't finish or that it was, you know, unlikely that I would finish, I'd be missing out on that big training opportunity. Um, and that opportunity to, you know, spend time with a friend and, and see the course and see how amazing that race was. Um, and so I'm really glad that I got to do that. And it was, it was a really, September has just been an incredible month for, for ultra running for me. Absolutely. Awesome. That's very well put. And so you mentioned that between breaks, Barkley Fall Classic and World at World's End, they're all very basic, um, despite all being sort of like categorized as difficult. What would you say is the most, or was the most physical challenging moment in each one of those races? And then what was the most mentally challenging moment, uh, if it was different from the most physically challenging moment? Yeah. So for breaks, which is held, um, probably in its people might notice the Pine Mountain region or the Breaks Interstate Park on the border of Kentucky and Virginia. Probably the most difficult part was the final climb. Um, I actually tried to put some of these trails on Trail Run Project because there was nothing on there. And, you know, we mapped all the stuff with the GPS data because we ran it. So this climb had one of the sections was like, you know, 700 feet of gain over like 0.7 miles or something. I mean, just like stupid steep. And, you know, it was, it was scree, it was loose rock. It was dark by that point. And, you know, I, I knew I would finish, but you have that moment in an ultra marathon where you're like, I just, I'm so impatient. You just want to get to the next part of the race, you know? And I knew that once I finished that climb that I would be back in the park on the road and I could just run it in. But that climb just seemed to take forever you know, it's 30 minute mile or whatever. And it just, even though that was like, you know, a very small part of the race, I would say that was probably the most challenging for me physically and mentally. Um, as far as Barkley, the last eight miles was very difficult for me mentally because I, it just drug on forever. So at this race, Barkley fall classic, you know, you can't have a GPS watch. There's no phones, no GPS watch. I mean, you could have music, I guess, if you had an iPod, no trekking poles. There were no aid stations except for water. Really kind of Spartan, just difficult type race. And those last eight miles, boy, they just drug on forever. And we still, you know, we lost 2,000 feet, gained 1,000 feet in those last eight miles. And just all over the place, you go, you go right through the south end of the park. Um, the trails weren't technical, but it just took forever. And again, I'm just sort of waiting and waiting and waiting uh, to get back to the park roads, you know, to, to finish the race. Um, so just kind of drug on. As far as the most physically challenging part of Barkley Fall Classic, uh, there's another famous climb or descent called Testicle Spectacle. Um, I just put some photos of that up on my Instagram. And um, boy, when I first saw that, I like, I got scared a little bit. It was so steep. You literally had to slide down either like on your butt or you had to put your feet on the ground and sort of like, like, uh, if any of the climbers listening will know the move stemming where you push your arms out like this to stem your way up. 
So I had to stem to present, prevent myself from falling down this slope. That's how steep it was on testicle spectacle. And there were, you know, multiple sections of this as I'm going down. And so, you know, it's the first time I'd ever done this, uh, this, this race and been on this climb because you're not allowed to go on these sections of the, of the park, you know, except during a race, except either Barkley Fall Classic or Barkley Marathons. So I saw this descent and how steep and technical and it's just loose rock and dirt everywhere. And I was like, shit, like, like I got to do this. Like I, I have to get down this if I want to finish the race. Um, and I, and I did, and it, I made it happen. And then going up, I didn't think was as bad because you're going up. So, you know, when you're going up a steep climb, you can always just sort of fall into the, <laughs> into the hill. But if you're going down and you fall, well, now you're tumbling and now you're really going to get hurt. So, um, in, in some ways I find descents scarier than ascents. Uh, as far as, um, world's end, the challenge was just all the technical terrain throughout the race. We had huge boulder fields. We had to climb up. I mean, you know, some of these trails, it's just a collection of rocks. I mean, you've, you've been on, you guys have probably been on stuff like that where you're like, this is a trail. Like this is just a collection of rocks that somebody put a blaze on, you know, uh, it's not really a trail at all. But we had to climb stuff like that, you know, at, at uh, 5.30 in the morning. I mean, this was like mile three of the race or something. Um, and then mentally towards the end of the race, you know, when I knew I wasn't going to make that that 50-mile cutoff. 50-mile cutoff was 9 p.m. ended up getting there about 9.10. You know, walking towards that, I was just like, man, like, you know, you just start playing through all those things in your head. If only I'd done this. If only I'd done that. If only I was a little bit faster here. If I'd shaved off five minutes here and 10 minutes here, you know, I would have made it in the cutoff. And I knew the reality was, you know, it, I would have needed probably an extra hour to finish that race. But I really, I really wanted to try to do that. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it just didn't happen. That's okay. Cause I got a good, good training thing out of it. Yeah. If I can just, uh, mention real quick, I, I feel like there's a segment on, uh, what are you drinking on this show? And we haven't, we haven't touched that yet. We do have a what are you drinking segment. Would you like to uh, tell us what you're drinking? Well, as a matter of fact, I would. Uh, I, I, so I don't drink, which maybe is why you, you guys very sweetly didn't ask me. Um, but I prepared some drinks, some non-alcoholic drinks, just for the show. So uh, I'm starting with a uh, Waterloo sparkling water, coconut flavor. Um, I dedicate this coconut flavored bubbly to my girlfriend, Marissa. Um, I then have a drink that she got me, Trader Joe's uh, Spiced Ginger Brew. So that's very lovely, very nice bottle. And then, um, you know, I love to stay hydrated. So I'm going to finish this off with some liquid death. And if you see right here, it says murder your thirst. So that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to murder my thirst with some liquid death. Can you elaborate more what? on what liquid death is? It's, water it's, or? Uh, <laughs> It's just water, actually. Mountain water, liquid death, mountain water. Uh, you can get it at Whole Foods or other fine establishments, I guess. I don't hmm. know. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I bought it because of the name, um, and it was not worth the price tag. Uh, but it's called liquid death. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You got to keep at least one of those in the fridge at all times. Like, uh, exactly. Uh, in case you you're really here? thirsty. Yeah. What are you guys drinking? Um, I am drinking first a Southern Tier eight days of the week and infinitely drinkable is what it says on it um and then i've got a secondary beverage as well um and i have the new juice ipa indian pale ale 
Um, we'll see if we get into that one. What do you nice. got over there, Cam? All right. So uh, once again, I have a Jackie O's. If you all are noticing a trend <laughs> in my beverage choices, uh, it should be pretty obvious by now. Um, but it's the Under a Cloud IPA. I truly do love the can art on this one. I cannot say enough about this little possum holding the umbrella in her little tail there. Um, it felt really fitting with the weather today in Columbus. Kind of moody, kind of rainy. And you'll know I don't have a second or third beverage like John and Sam do. And that's because uh, usually I have to pee really badly by the end of it. And I don't want to have to get up and leave during the show. I nice. feel that. A lot of IPAs on this show, I've noticed. I, I, I've never had one, but it seems to be a theme. Except Wesley. Ah. Yeah. The uh, the tall boy White Claw was a... Uh, <laughs> Yes, that was, that was in the Alex Gold episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another yeah. incredible Ohio runner. Yes. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah. It looks like um, from the chat, it looks like Marissa's in the chat. She says, no gross in all caps to your coconut water. Yeah, she uh, she hates coconut probably, <laughs> but it's my favorite. I mean, the way the coconut hits the, the, you know, the seltzer water, it's amazing. Um, I don't drink them during races cause I want calories. So I just do Coke or, you know, whatever I can find that's carbonated that has like a ton of calories in it. Um, man, there's nothing better after an ultra though, than a cold LaCroix. I have Waterloo cause that's what I bought, but I like LaCroix. I like pretty much all of them. Nice. Big fan. So, and so when you're drinking the seltzer waters, you find that you actually taste the flavor of the coconut and not just kind of like spicy water. Well, I mean, it's right. It's a slight misnomer. I guess you're not really tasting anything. And if you hold your, I mean, you know, if you hold your nose, and you drink Lacroix. You're basically just drinking water. So it, it, the the nasal, the uh, was it the olfactory perspective yes. of the water. That's what's what's important. Um, yeah, I mean, I love coconut. Coconut's amazing. Foods and uh, coconut oil as a moisturizer. It's incredible. Hmm. Well, uh, speaking of things that our guests really love, uh, if you listen to the last night's show, you learned that Alex Gold truly does love White Claws. Um, <laughs> Samuel Hartman, um, you wouldn't run a beer mile or a White Claw mile, and that's okay. But give us an <laughs> estimate. What do you think you could run for the Coconut Waterloo mile? Same rules apply. Well, okay, so this is where you know I'm going to look like a fool on the podcast here. I don't really know how a beer mile works. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. Uh, so you got to explain it to right? me. Yeah. Uh, four laps on the track. Uh, okay. In the, um, what is it? The baton train. Right. So it's like 20 yards there on the track. Can you tell I threw shot put in high school? Uh, I don't know <laughs> what the thing's called. Um, you have to drink a beer. You can't shotgun it. You can't, um, like, like do anything else with it. You can't, like, go to the top of the lid. Uh, you can't drink with a straw, I'm pretty sure. And it also has to be above 5%. Um, so no like super light beers. Mm. Uh, and then you just do that four times. So four beers, four laps. Uh, that's your beer mile. So, so you, you would be four Waterloo's four laps. So I'm drinking four. I'm drinking one of these each 400 meters. Essentially. And you want to know what my time would be? <laughs> yeah, I'm, let's throw down I'm a prediction. That? Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. Probably be like a 10 minute mile or something. I mean, I think I would throw up. I can't imagine doing it with beer. I'd definitely throw up if it was beer and not even just cause I don't drink. It just sounds ludicrous. 
<laughs> it's, it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> I would just sloshing around in the belly. Yeah. You'd probably, I would stab myself in the face. The cans got all these like sharp pointy things here. Like I would hurt myself. Yeah. yeah. Beer would suck, but you know what is even worse? Chocolate milk. So if you go back oh. a couple of years, not even a couple of years, you can watch Wesley and Michael Owen do a um, chocolate milk challenge where they run oh up God. a 250 foot hill, or I think it's about 200, 250 feet ish in that range, mm-hmm. half mile up, get to the top, chug chocolate milk, run back down to the bottom, chug chocolate milk, run back to the top, chug chocolate milk. Uh, That's worse. I think it's by far. I mean, I like the hill component. Yeah, if I was going to do some kind of beer mile thing, I would want it to be a climb. So here's what I would do. A pizza climb. 2,000 feet of gain, an entire extra large pizza. That, that sounds like my kind of challenge. I think we got the next challenge lined up. We got to yeah. find this really, yeah. I'm coming to Columbus. Where can we find yeah. a good Because it's got to be a lot of gain and a big pizza. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you where you can find a 2,000 foot hill in Columbus, and the answer is nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you go to Sugarloaf, so the Great Seal, you do it four times. And each yes. time you eat a fourth of the pizza. There you go. We're on to something That's here. Good. Well, I was going to say, uh, I don't know what y'all are doing this Saturday, but <laughs> I may have new plans. Let's turn this into an uh, organized <laughs> event, and it can be sponsored by Ridge Runners. See if we can't get some uh, pizza donations too. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've Love we've it, come uh, up with something here. We're definitely going to have to do this. All right, all right. The yeah. pizza climb. Mm-hmm. Dig it. Wesley's not in on the za challenge, apparently, though. <laughs> well, I don't know yeah. why. He says I'm out on a za challenge, and for somebody who is in on a chocolate milk, milk challenge, challenge, I just I do not understand. Um, but we also do have. Uh, a serious question from the chat that I okay. want to get to. Um, Eric Anderson, we have not been ignoring you. Uh, we've just been trying to go with the flow of things. But he uh, would like to know what the difference in the mental pressure is of a tough cutoff like a race at World's End or a generous cutoff like at Cloud Splitter. Yeah, well, that's a great example. So Cloud Splitter, for people who don't know, um, they're doing the same thing this year too. Uh, there's a 25k, 50k, 100k, and 100 mile distance, and they all start at the same time. Uh, although this year they're doing wave starts, but it's about the same time, and they all have the same cutoff, which is 40 hours. Um, even for 100 miles, even over technical terrain, 40 hours is a pretty generous cutoff. So, you know, especially for the people out there for the 25 and the 50k you literally could walk the whole thing and complete it. Um, no problem. Same with the hundred K. Um, the hundred K cloud splitter took me like 23 hours. I mean, a lot of climbing, like I said, 13,000 feet, something crazy like that. And, uh, some real technical terrain in the middle, some water crossing, stuff like that. Uh, to the question, I think there definitely was more stress and more angst, you know, in my head going into world's end, but, you know, I couldn't let it get to me in those first few miles. Um, it's very easy to look at your watch, you know, at mile 10 of hundred K or mile 20 or whatever, and say, you know, all right, well, I'm, you know, I'm clocking a 18 minute mile right now. Like that's too slow. I need to speed up and you just get stressed about it. And I didn't want to run that kind of race. I didn't want to run a race where I was stressed the whole time. I wanted to enjoy it. The landscape was gorgeous. You know, I was there with my buddy, Max, 
Um, I wanted to really, you know, enjoy all the work I'd put in to get to that race. Um, so I think, I think if anything, you know, there's an element of stress at a race like cloud spitter, because you know, that you can be out there forever. Like, you know, I could have taken 30 hours to do that hundred K at cloud splitter. Whereas at world's end, it's more like, you just got to go, like, you just got to go at the, at the best possible pace that you can and hope that you make the cutoffs. And if you don't, you don't, and you go and you train and you try again, and that's all you can do. Um, but they're, they're still, you know, they're both great races in their own right. Wonderful answer. Yeah, that's a great answer. And so um, we always like to hit on the difficult parts of these races, but one thing that I've also been trying to do is to always temper every time I talk about how hard ultras are, but talking about how much joy I get from them. So Sam, I asked you what the hardest parts of each of these races are. What uh, parts of each of these races brought you the most joy? And don't say carpool karaoke with Max. <laughs> we can't let him know that you had a lot of fun doing that. No, we, we certainly can't as we karaoke to, uh, you know, the faceless and between the barrier and me. Uh, <laughs> um, well, so for breaks, uh, there was a real good portion, probably miles like 20 to 30 where I was just cruising. You know, I, I even bombed a couple downhills. I just felt great. And, uh, just, you know, just remembered what it felt like to be an ultra runner again. That was my first race since March since Caballo Blanco. And, uh, it really was, was a lot of fun. And then there was later on, there was a, a spot where my hamstring was really hurting and I was walking and I still had about 10 miles left of the race. And I just sort of told myself like, you know, there's nothing I can do about this right now. So I might as well just accept it and just keep moving on. Uh, and I thought about David Goggins. I'm a big fan of David Goggins. I'm sure it's not a stranger to people who run ultras and you know, all the crazy stuff he's done on broken limbs and everything else and thought, man, my hamstring just hurts. That's all it is. And, you know, I'm going to get home and I'm going to stretch and I'm going to do rehab and I'm going to go see my PT, but I can't do any of those things right now. Like all I wanted to do was fix the issue, but you can't really fix a bigger issue in the middle of an ultra. You can just kind of take one step forward and then another and another, and eventually you add all, you add all the steps up and you get to whatever distance it is you want to get to. Um, and so I had a moment of joy, even when I was in like, not excruciating pain, but a lot of pain, you know, like I couldn't run because my leg hurt so bad because of a chronic injury I've had this year. Um, I would say the joy from Barkley fall classic, probably rat jaw the second time I actually did it faster. A lot of people did. And I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. Like I am ascending rat jaw right now. I'm actually doing this, you know, this is stuff that like, you know, I mean, it's silly, but it's like, this is what they do in the big Barkley, right? Like this is the same climb and the briars are worse because they run that race in like April and this is in September. So just doing that climb was uh, just amazing. Um, and at world's end, um, you know, a lot of those technical sections early on in the race were a lot of fun. It's really fun to do super technical stuff on fresh legs. <laughs> it's not super fun to do technical stuff on really tired legs. Uh, but you know, when you're fresh and you're not, you're, you know, almost skipping over the boulders, that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy that. And when I, I put some good music on, I listen to a lot of music, actually, 
uh, towards the end of the race, I was really, really fatigued and I needed something to kind of keep me going. So I started, I put on my podcast app and I listened to uh, Ridge Runner. I listened to the one with uh, the uh, Table Rock winners, the two, two women, Sophie and Regan. Yeah, that was uh, a great episode. Yeah, it was a, it was an awesome episode, you know. And uh, yeah, I listened to that during World's End out, out of my phone. I couldn't bear to have anything in my ears anymore. You know, I'd had my headphones in for like eight hours at that point. I was like, I just ripped them out. I was like, I cannot do this. And then you know, by mile forty-five, it's dark. I'm in the forest. There's nobody around. You're kind of freaked out. You know, you're clocking a nineteen-minute mile. And so I was like, I'm going to put a podcast on, you know, what's, you know, that's good. Podcast going to keep me company. So that, so the Ridge Runners kept me company while I was on trail. It was awesome. Well, we love to hear that. Um, Wesley, our faster host is sitting in the chat room this evening and had a good question. He said, you kind of hinted at the fact that you're interested in the, the Barkley Marathon 100 and like what mental and physical preparations would you have to go through before <laughs> attempting that kind of uh, challenge? Uh, well, the first answer that comes to mind is stupidity. I'd have to be stupid to enter that race. <laughs> um, you know, the Barclay Marathons is a fantasy for, uh, and I use that word in, in every possible meaning for a lot of ultra runners. You watch the documentary. I'm no exception. I watch the documentary. Um, and, uh, you go, wow, that's amazing. I would love to do that one day. And the Barclay Fall Classic was the first step in that. Will I ever make it to the Barclay Marathons? I don't know. I mean, the chances of me being fit enough in my lifetime to finish a race like that, you know, you look at the type of runner that Gary Robbins or John Kelly uh, is, um, and there's a, there's another uh, finisher, um, Nicodemus De La Rosa, who I can talk about, um, who's a friend of mine. Um, so you look at the shape they were in and the mental space they were in to finish a race like that. And there's enough documentaries now that you can see this stuff, you know, or you can go read their race reports. Um, it's something special. It's a very, very narrow place. And what I mean by that is you have to have your focus set so narrow that Basically, everything else in your life is secondary to finishing that race. And I don't think most people realize, I don't even think I would realize what that would do to the rest of your life, to your relationships, to your time, to your job, to your uh, paycheck or income. Um, I mean, you have, I would go as far as to say, and, and if there are any people who, you know, or more obsessed with the Barclay than me or no more about, it, you know, please comment. But I would, I would say you would have to be obsessed with that race to feel like you could finish or even to, to complete a fun run. Um, you know, a goal for me would just to be to get in and, and do a lap. Um, and even just saying that, I know that like, well, that's not really the point. The point's not to get in the points to finish. You know, we don't enter ultras to DNF. So there's a very sort of tenuous relationship that, um, that I have with the race, uh, already. Um, but I feel like I'm young in my ultra running career. We only started really seriously running about three years ago and, uh, you know, I'm only 35. So, um, you know, I, I hope at some point in my life I can get into that race and, and, uh, do well, but you know, that might be three years. That might be 10 years. I don't know. 
Well, you say that now. Um, <laughs> the ultra running peak age seems to be all over the place, and it truly <laughs> seems to be a lot later than 35, to be frank. And I mean, even for most athletics, it's it's definitely changing. Tom Brady's still out there. Um, mm-hmm. To uh, to reference another sport. But yeah, um, I ran with Carl Meltzer at Cloud Splitter, man. I mean, you all know that guy. I, st- I talked to him. I saw him on trail. The dude is a beast. And in his mid 50s at this point, I think. I mean, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if, if I have years left in me to run fast on trails, like I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that said, we have uh, another question from Marissa in the chat. Um, don't worry, this one is not about your beverage choices tonight, <laughs> but it is what's the best thing you've ever found on a trail while running? Uh, I actually found a pair of really nice Oakley sunglasses, um, at the Red River Gorge. Uh, I think it gotta be like $150 sunglasses. And I just found them on the trail, picked them up, put them right on. So I just started wearing them immediately. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like the best like thing I can think of. I suppose I could give some kind of esoteric answer like, oh, I found my sanity or whatever, but I didn't. That's not true. You kind of go insane when you run this long and you just want it to be over. <laughs> That's all you could think. It's a God's taking forever. I always say ultra running takes forever. I mean, it really does. Yep. It's like just when you think you can't be out there for any more hours, you still have like six hours left. It takes forever. Totally. And I mean, how many people think about, you know, how many people who haven't run an ultra who hit you with that classic line of, well, I don't even like to drive that far. How many of them have stayed up for 26, 27, 28, 29 hours straight, much yeah. less not running, just staying awake, you know, right. even like right. binge watching Netflix, just being conscious yes. for that period of time is difficult. It is. Yeah. Not to mention moving for that long. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And so, um, moving forward a little bit, um, so you mentioned earlier, um, the hamstring issue that you were having and knowing you're like, well, I can handle this after the fact, right. But like now I can't fix it. Right. Uh, what has your recovery been like? Um, were there any like particular special habits that you had, um, between the races that you knew like, this is going to get me right by Saturday, uh, anything you're doing now that we should make note of? Yeah. Um, well, I'll give a shout out to my, uh, PT for people who are in Columbus is Matt Longfellow is a practice called, uh, diverge performance therapy. And, uh, he's been great. I mean, I started seeing him when I was a weightlifter and he has a real focus on breathing. I know that's kind of like a buzzword right now, but you know, we worked a lot on, um, people call it, you know, diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, but, you know, one of the issues I have from years of just really just life, but especially lifting and CrossFit is, uh, you know, a certain sort of pelvic tilt. And, you know, for the, the pe- people in the house who are PTs or have studied physical therapy or know, you know, when your pelvis is sort of out of alignment in one way or the other chronically, you know, it can create issues throughout the rest of your body. And it can also create issues with airflow. So when you try to take air into your diaphragm, you know, if your core isn't stacked correctly on top of your pelvis, then you're going to have to overextend or underextend to get the air in all the right places. Um, your body's going to do that one way or another, right? You got to breathe, 
Like your, your body's not going to be like, well, I'll cut back on breathing so you can be in a good position. No, your body will put you in a bad position so you can breathe. And so that's where a lot of these issues come from. And so there's a lot of corrective um, breathing and stretching drills that he's had me do that I, you know, wasn't all that good about staying up on because I was like, well, it's bad, but it's not that bad. And so I really was diligent about that in the last few weeks. Um, and I think it's helped. I, the last two races, I had much less issues and I'm continuing to really try to um, work on my posture and alignment. You know, I go back and forth on running form because I don't want people to think that there's a buy-in with running. I think people who want to get into running should just go find a pair of shoes that aren't abysmal, put them on and go run. You know, you don't need to overthink it. You know, just lean forward, start running. You know, running is just controlled falling. That's all it is. And uh, now that I'm several years into my running career, I am going back and looking at the running form and the gait and my cadence um, but sometimes I think like, man, this is just crazy. Like I should just be able to run. But if you learn a bad habit, you know, if your body learns a bad habit, you got to unlearn that habit over time. Um, friend of mine, dear friend of mine, Douglas, long time ago told me this phrase, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. So if you practice something the wrong way or in a less than ideal way over and over and over and over again, it becomes permanent in your body until you change the process of, then you unlearn that behavior. That could be a mental behavior or a physical behavior. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do is trying to learn that, you know, tr really trying to unlearn the behavior of having this like extended torso all the time and really trying to get in a better postural position, trying to breathe better. And then on top of that, all the stuff you'd expect, sleep, food. So I've been vegan for a long time. And, you know, uh, that movie Game Changers really talks about how plant-based diet um, can, uh, aid and, you know, aid recovery. Uh, I'm not sure if totally sure if that's true for me. Um, uh, I've been an ethical vegan for much longer than that, but it probably doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt. Uh, and in some way I think it does help that I'm not eating things like dairy or meat, which can be hard to process in the body. Um, not to mention cruel. Um, and then just a couple things real quick. Uh, I like cryotherapy. I go to Ohio cryo here in Columbus. Uh, if you never tried cryotherapy, it's awesome. You get in a big tube and they blast like negative 200 degree liquid nitrogen in for uh, three minutes. It's amazing. Massage, stretching, uh, you know, easy recovery stuff like walks and runs. And then, uh, I do some recovery lifting too. So I'll do light squats, lunges, kettlebell swings, stuff like that, you know, just to kind of move, um, I think movement is, is the key, right? Like you got to move. So I try to move as much as possible between these races, but without creating like a, additional stress or additional inflammation in my body. Yeah, really, uh, really well put. And I really, uh, I know that wasn't your phrase, but I really like that, um, that line of thinking, right? Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice makes permanent. Especially mm -hmm. now as I uh, begin seeing the PT myself and um, she makes many comments on how my right leg is much, very different from my left leg. Uh, and I've yeah. got just the weakest glutes in the world. Um, you do some lunges, man. Lots and lots of lunges once that foot's good enough to do them. They, That's the key. Trust me, they've been prescribed and on my leg only so far. So <laughs> yeah. we'll see if it catches back up um, right. or what the deal uh, with that is. But uh, Moving on, we're going to move to some shorter, faster questions here at the end of the yeah. show, like we always do. Great. Um, if you have any. 
ask Sam, please just let us know in the chat. Uh, first question here is, Sam, if you wrote a memoir, what would it be called? <laughs> yeah, so I've thought about this a lot. Uh, so the memoir would be called um, Running From My Problems. And uh, the subtitle would be something to the effect of uh, um, how I ran 100 miles and it didn't change my life. You know, I, I think it's catchy. I think it's funny. Um, but I think it's so interesting. You know, I love ultra running. I love the sport. Uh, and I hope to do this for a long time. And I think it is transformative. But, it, you know, it doesn't always change your life in the ways that you think it will. And, you know, one thing I think that should be talked about more and, you know, that I might talk about in a book like this is like, what happens after the race? Like, even if you win, even if you smash the competition, you know, you take your shoes and socks off, you take a shower, you go home, you go to the hotel, you go to the campsite, you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day. Then what, you know, where does all that adrenaline and drive and passion go? Um, and I think that we need, you know, I think this is a conversation about mental health, but I think it's just more about like ultra running is this amazing thing, but like you can't just run one ultra after another, after another, after another. I mean, most people can't. Now there was that guy last year that tried to do a hundred every weekend, you know, Billy, the hundred mile slayer. That was crazy. Uh, maybe he's an exception, but you know, most people like ultra running is this high. It's a peak in their life. And then I think it can create valleys sometimes too. And I think that we should talk more about those valleys um, to kind of bring them up a little bit uh, to kind of make people feel like, hey, you know, it's okay to be like down after a race, even if you won, you know? Like, I guess I don't hear a lot of people say that, but I have to imagine that there are people who win ultras and still feel down later because the, the, the race is over and you just go home, you know? So that was yeah. a long answer, but my thoughts it was and it was um really well put and if you ever do uh want to get serious about that memoir thing i have some people at the uh <laughs> ohio state english department i could introduce you to i hear cool. their mfa program is fully funded for three years um, <laughs> awesome cool that's exactly as much of an endorsement as i'll give any english program or academia in general at this point in my life um, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm very pro literature man i mean hell yeah you know read and write it's absolutely all about it but yeah, um, so, uh, sorry for laughing there. Um, okay. We got another question from the chat. It's uh, from the co-host who couldn't be here, the Pat McAfee of Ultra Running, Wesley Harden. Dude, aren't you supposed to be at work or anything? Um, and he asks, what advice uh, would you give to a runner who has been running ultras but wants to challenge themselves in a new way, like a huge purpose? Uh, what, was, what was the last part? Um, what advice would you give to a runner who has been running ultras, but wants to challenge themselves in a new way, like a race with huge vert? Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different types of ultras now. Uh, you know, you, you have, for example, rocks and roots here in Columbus, which is an extremely flat 50 K. Uh, but the trail, you know, can be very muddy and kind of gnarly and, it, you know, it really slows people down. And then you have races like Cloud Splitter that are just, you know, crazy vert and technical and 
Um, and World's End was a perfect example of that. And World's End was even more technical than Cloud Splitter, absolutely. Um, and then off in this other category, races like you know Barkley Fall Classic, which I don't know if there's a lot of races like that. You know, there's not a lot of climbs where you're on all fours in ultra marathons, so that's pretty special. But um, you know, what to do to? I mean, that's a hard question to answer. You know, ultras are challenging already. I mean, you can always up the distance, you can up the time. Uh, you know, that, uh, that backyard format's very popular now. I've thought about it. Um, I know, uh, Cam, you've, you've done the backyard format, right? I have, yeah. How far did you get in that? Uh, I ran 50, and then the last four miles, I timed out. So I came uh, in in like 61 okay. or 62 minutes. I got to see everybody's headlamps go up the hill um, there in Reese's uh, backyard before I could get uh, back in. But that was also only my second ultra. Um, yeah. I'm actually like really proud with the performance that I had that 50 day. miles. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting format. You know, timed races are something to look at. Uh, I mean, I think vert challenges and, you know, vert things are great. I mean, I've yet, you know, to get out to Colorado and, you know, all those places and really do the big climbs. You know, all the stuff I've done has been, you know, Appalachia and under. Um, so you know, I'm really looking forward to running at altitude and trying that out and seeing what it's like breathing at 12,000 feet and stuff like that. Um, but I think just, you know, ultra running, when it really comes down to it, is just about time. Uh, it doesn't matter the distance if, you know, being out, being out somewhere for six hours is very different than being out somewhere for 12 hours. That's very different than being out somewhere for 24 or 28 or 30 hours. So, you know, if you've done a race that took you eight hours, you know, go find a race that's going to take you 20 hours or 25 or 30. And that's the challenge is can you withstand the mental pressure of your mind telling you, you know, I just can't take another minute of this. That's this kind of the narrative, right, that ultra runners go through. You just got to push past that and be like, yeah, actually I can. Like, you know, you're just walking, you're just running. That's all it is. And you can kind of go on forever with that attitude. And that's, that's the challenge is just to see how far you can go. And we say it's far like distance, but it's really how long can you suffer based on hours, minutes, and seconds. I think that's the real challenge. Interesting. Um, I'm kind of, kind of curious if you think of like, I think throughout this entire podcast so far, We've hit it a couple times, but like not truly hit it on the nail. Like, um, and kind of, I'm curious. Like, what you have very interested in, like some of these really hard races and stuff like that. And kind of like maybe what's your what's your why? What's that motivation that drives the desire to do some of the, these you know harder races? And mm -hmm. especially you know, what drove you to go through these like last three or four weeks of really tough tough races? Mm -hmm. Well, I think. Um you know, at first glance at that question, um, you know, when I commit to something, I typically do it. I'm somebody who, you know, I live by my word. Integrity is a, is a big deal in my life. And so, you know, I signed up for these races and I paid money for them. And I was like, you know, damn it, I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, even if I'm slightly injured or whatever, even if they're six hours away, like I'm going to go and do them. But I think the real reason that I do ultra marathons 
it's hard to distill down into one reason. And I'm sure people who know me might have other answers, but there's a feeling that comes often at the end of some of the really difficult races where virtually everything else in your life that you're thinking about or you're worried about or that you're excited about, it all fades away. And you know how like when you're anxious about something, like, you know, let's say you have an appointment or something in the afternoon and it's the morning and you just can't stop thinking about it, you know, and you try to distract yourself and then like five minutes later, you start thinking about it again. Uh, or if, you know, you're, you, you're, you're in a fight with a friend or something and you just, you can't stop thinking about, oh, this person's mad at me, you know, and it just keeps coming back and back. Even if you try to get away from it, like when you're in an ultra marathon, that doesn't happen. All your brain can focus on is the suffering that you're just enmeshed in. You're completely swallowed up by, <laughs> I'm not making, I mean, this doesn't sound like a good sales pitch for ultra running, but <laughs> you're swallowed up by this agony, right? I mean, doesn't sound awesome. Doesn't that make you guys want to go run ultras? You're yeah. swallowed up by agony. But that's all that's in your mind. And that's a beautiful thing to have a single focus for once, right? I mean, all we do is distract ourselves with people and friends and food and social media and, and jobs and commutes and lawn work and, you know, all this dumb shit that's in our life. And all that goes away in an ultra marathon. And so I do it because like after 12 hours, you really can only focus on one thing. And that one thing may be, wow, I'm chafing really bad, or it's two miles to the aid station, or I'm hungry, or I have to pee, or whatever. But that's it. It's like this solo, one-track mind. It's truly a one-track mind. And you basically get that as long as you want until the race ends. And sometimes you even get it after the race ends for a while. And you're just like, whoa, that was crazy. I can't believe I did that. And that's why I said, you know, when the race ends, it's so difficult afterwards. And I think people should talk about, you know, what happens after the race ends, because then all that's all that real life floods back in. But during the race, man, like it's agony, but it's like bliss at the same time, because uh, nothing else really matters except for what you're doing in that moment. It lets you be very it's a way of being present that's almost guaranteed to bring you into the present if you go run a long enough distance. I think it's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of being out on a long run. You know, and especially yeah. like, like you're talking about like that, that single focus of, of, you know, basically primal stuff almost. You know, you're not, you're not sitting there with your phone scrolling through like, oh, looking at this or comparing yourself to this or that. You're just focused on yeah. that immediate, whatever's in front of your face kind of thing. Right. And, and all you have to do to do that is like pay a hundred bucks, drive somewhere and pin a bib on. I mean, that's it. They, they tell you where to go. They mark the course. They give you water and food. You got music on your phone. What else do you need? <laughs> you just, they, they set the whole thing up for you. And oh, then yeah. you just go and suffer for hours and hours and hours. And it's all you can think about. I mean, it's amazing. Like it's just, it's such an amazing sport, you know? 
I always love like right in the middle or near like the three quarter mark when everyone's like, I'm never doing this again or like <laughs> mad at themselves. And then as soon as they cross the finish line, they're like, so I was thinking about signing up for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're an ultra sign up like the next that night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah looking for races. Oh, I was me this week. Yeah. Already, already looking for the next one. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was a truly great answer, Samuel. I thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a much better way of describing ultras than usually what I tell people, which is just like, oh, it's just like fancy hiking, like between snack tables, you know? It's just like, <laughs> I like the woods and I like to eat candy, right? Like, it's just both things at once. Um, well, those things are true too. And I mean, yes, uh, I always say, if, if you like eating, get into ultra running because you get to eat a lot. You, basically you don't just eat whatever. get to eat a lot in the woods. You get to eat a lot in your daily life. Yeah, um, right. If some people were surprised by your eat a whole extra large pizza comment, uh, I just want to co- uh, quote Coach David Roach and say, uh, every pizza is a personal pizza if you believe in yourself. <laughs> I love it. I, I love that quote. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we are running a little over on time, but we don't want to let Samuel go just yet. Uh, we still got a couple more questions to ask him. All right. Um, and so we're trying to get through these ones a little quicker. I'll be brief. And let's start with if ultra running had walk up songs like baseball, what would yours be? Uh, okay. So yeah, I'm going to test the, the uh, metal and hardcore knowledge of the listeners here. But uh, first one is uh, a black metal band from Norway called Dumu Board Gear. The song is Perfection or Vanity. I'm going to have to type that into Spotify. Uh, it's a closing track on one of their records. Super epic heavy metal song. Just awesome. And the other one, i got to be true to my hardcore roots, is Hatebreed. If you've never run to Hatebreed, you're missing out, man. It'll get you pumped. And the song is called Before Dishonor from uh, one of their records from the 90s. Just really super aggressive tune. Uh, boy, anybody would look like a badass walking out to Hatebreed. So that's it. Well, I'm excited to listen to those once... Cam adds them to our Spotify list, which has got to be the strangest collection of music that exists out there. Um, yes, it does. Yeah, <laughs> it is truly getting very weird. <laughs> what is a what is one thing you can't leave an aid station without? Uh, you know, recently it's been man like pickle juice or pickles. Like all this, I mean, at World's End, I was like guzzling pickle juice. It was obscene. Um, now, I'm going to make a plug real quick, and I'll keep it brief. The secret ultra-running food is kimchi. You guys know this? Oh, please elaborate. Tons of sodium, oh, yeah. super sour, so it hits that Golgi tendon reflex that's in your mouth, which is what releases the muscles, which is what helps with cramping. Kimchi is delicious. It's fermented, so it's got all the probiotics and stuff that you need, and your gut's messed up anyway because you're feeding it gels for 12 hours. It's like kimchi is this like perfect ultra running food. And I would love to see kimchi or kimchi liquid at more aid stations. Hmm. Um, But if they don't have that pickles, pickle juice, you know, maybe some pretzels, something like that. You say that exactly one day uh, after Alex Gold talks about how he doesn't understand how people can drink pickle juice at aid stations. (laughs) Um, It just goes to show like our playlist, um, aid stations are weird places. Uh, And some people leave with a bag full of Oreos and some people leave eating mashed potatoes and drinking beer. Uh, it's just truly the strangest, weirdest sport. And I do love it so much. It, it, it um, is, man. It's an amazing sport. Yeah. And so 
on the topic of weird, uh, we already asked tonight what was the coolest or best thing you had found on a trail run, but what is the weirdest thing uh, you've seen somebody eat during a race or the strangest hallucination you've had mid-race? Uh, essentially something like that. Mm. Um, you know, the weirdest, I'll say the weirdest thing about hallucinations is like, I feel like I have them early. Like, I feel like I have them at mile 20 and I just see people. I constantly see people or bears. I always think it's a person or a bear and I just get totally freaked out. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a bear. Or, oh my God, there's a person there. And then I'm like, no, that's a log. And then like an hour later, it happens again. And I'm like, no, that's also just a log. It, yeah. So like, I mean, I didn't even hallucinate during Burning River. That was 30 hours. And I was up for two before that. So I was up for like 32, 33 hours. And, and you know, I, I didn't really like hallucinate any worse than I do in like my normal runs. So maybe I'm just like prone to hallucinating. Um, as far as food, I don't know, man, people eat all kinds of crazy stuff at these races. Um, I haven't seen anything that, that crazy. I, I think kimchi is pretty crazy for some people. So I'll, I'll have to go with that. It's all. It's always nice when you've got the self-awareness to know that you're the weird one at the aid <laughs> yeah. station. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I just kind of eat, you know, generic food and try to make sandwiches or something for myself. Um, but yeah, I, the, the more sour, the better. So I don't know, maybe somebody got, you know, I, I would love to see some kind of super naturally sour food out there. Um that would make its way into ultra running. Um, I've heard of this product. Maybe you know about this Saladitos. Have you heard of those? Mm -hmm. They're like pickled plums in a brine. I think it's like a Mexican food. And apparently they have like, like thousands of milligrams of sodium in them or something. So I, I got to go find them at some like Mexican groceries so I can try them. Mm -hmm. If anyone knows anything about them, send them my way. Interesting. Um, Next question we got here is if you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner and they could, you know, assuming that they could run with you, keep up with you and for whatever distance mm -hmm. or pace you want to do, who would that be? Yeah. Um, so, okay. I'll quickly give actually real quick. I hope you don't violate the rules. I have two answers. First one is, <laughs> uh, is actually my coach, uh, Nicodemus. I've actually never met him. We've all, we've done remote coaching even before COVID. Uh, he is actually a Barkley finisher. He was the 13th Barkley finisher, uh, of all time. And I would just love to run with him and pick his brain, man. He's been an amazing coach. So shout out to Nicodemus. And also, you know, we work through complete human performance, which is my coaching group and they're amazing. So shout out to both of them, but I would love to run with, with him and just pick his brain. And, you know, I'm sure we would pick some super technical scramble and it would be amazing. And then the other guy, uh, is a guy named Ernest Shackleton. You guys ever heard of this guy before? I've definitely heard the name, but I can't place it right now. Yeah. So he's not a runner and he's dead, but you said anybody from any time and they mm -hmm. keep up with me. Mm -hmm. So Ernest Shackleton was this guy that led a failed expedition to Antarctica and ended up keeping everybody alive. And it took like years, but they all basically got home safe and mm -hmm. like lived on the ice for like months and years. And it was just this crazy feat. And the ship was called the Endurance. And so it's just like the perfect name. And, and they were just really hard people, you know, like they were really tough individuals and this, their captain Shackleton was a really tough individual. 
and uh, like Goggins, like David Goggins, you know, that's the kind of people that inspire me and the people that I want to become is people who are tough, you know, no matter how bad it is, the weather, the chafing, the blisters, the terrain, the whatever, whatever's going wrong, you just persevere and move forward. And those are the kind of people I want to be around. That's, that's a good answer. And I think I just recently listened to a podcast about failed Arctic expeditions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was deep in the recesses of the brain because that's the probably we heard that. it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. but so this will be our, uh, final question for the night. Um, and maybe we've already alluded to it a little bit here, but Samuel, what is your dream race? Well, yeah, the easy answer is of course, Barkley marathons. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll tell you what my, I'll tell you what my dream goal is. And I'm a little hesitant to make it public, but what the hell, right? Um, I want to set the FKT on the shelter we trace. So the shelter we trace is a 350 mile approximately trail that runs um, from Moorhead, Kentucky, all the way into Tennessee, into the big South Fork recreation area. There is a current FKT. Um, I think I can beat it with the right training. Um, and uh, I mean, I've only ever run hundred miles. So, you know, 350 just seems crazy, but I love that trail. Um, I've run several ultras on portions of it, Warhammer, rough trail, uh, big turtle, 50, big turtle, 50 milers all in the shelter we trace. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, doing something like the AT or the PCT that doesn't really appeal to me. Not really just too big. And, um, you know, I want something where I don't have to like sleep a lot and I can just push, 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 push. I just want to push forever. And, uh, so yeah, my goal is to, you know, next year, the year after, whenever I can set the, set the FKT on, on that, uh, approximately 350 mile trail. So it's not a race, but that's like, that's my dream, dream goal. Yeah. That that's such a great goal. And I want to remind everybody, if you do have a ridiculous goal, like let's stop being so afraid to put those out there. Um, because I may have said myself on like the very third episode of this show that in about five to 10 years, I do plan on winning the hard rock 100. Uh, that seems oh, like yeah. it's way a far ways out of here. Um, but you know, yeah, like that's the goal. Right. And truly the way the lottery is set up, I don't even know if I'll get even a slight chance to run hard rock in five to 10 years. But as of now, what I'm saying is that I'm going to win it, uh, sometime later. Because yeah, that's man. the goal. I love that cam. I mean, you should always pick hard goals. You should, you should have a lot of goals. You should pick goals that like you're, you're pretty sure you can do. You should pick goals. You're not sure. And then you should pick goals that like, you're never going to hit. I mean, when I was a bike racer, I thought I was going to be in the tour de France one day. Well, that's not happening, but I still rode bikes a lot and became a better bike racer. And I mean, it's the only way we get better is by picking, you know, goals all over the place and just trying to do them and trying to reach them. And that's how we become better athletes and better people. Very true. Um, so as we're wrapped up here, I want to say thanks for joining us this evening. I want to say thanks to all of our um, awesome viewers in the chat room asking questions all night tonight. Um, for our listeners who want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, probably Instagram is the best place. It's uh, Sam underscore metal. So S-A-M underscore M-E-T-A-L. Uh, my old nickname from my metal days, Sam metal. 
Uh, and I put up all my exploits and stuff on there. And I'm about to release the Barclay Fall Classic race report with some awesome, awesome photos that the photographers took. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, I'll be posting that on, on uh, Instagram very soon. Uh, and I just want to give one more shout out to my coaching company, Complete Human Performance. You can follow them on Instagram too, at Complete Human Performance. They've been amazing. And my coach, Nicodemus, is awesome and has gotten me prepped for these races uh, far beyond you know, what I ever thought was my abilities were capable of. So really, really happy to be working with them. Awesome. As always, we'll put those uh, links in the description below. Um, thank you all so much for watching this evening and um, we will see you next week. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a blast and uh, love the podcast. Very honored to be on it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Bye everybody. See y'all later. Take care. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning into another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Rosanna Nation.